Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 48 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. Today's guest, Pat, grew up in a grieving home. However, she did not realize that she was growing up in a grieving home at the time. She did find a picture of her brother who had died when she was a young girl, and she showed her mother. Her mother told her that that was her brother Greg, but nothing else about him, just that he had died as an infant. She later found his grave at the cemetery and used to go there and visit him as a girl, wondering what her life would have been like had he lived. It wasn't until 60 years after Greg's death that Greg's mother really started to deal with her grief. It was at that time that she opened up to Pat and really discussed what it was like to lose a child and all of the guilt and anger that she hung on to for 60 years. I'm sure this is why grieving mothers have turned into quite a passion for Pat now. She had become a coach but quickly specialized in becoming a grief coach, helping grieving mothers and others who are grieving significant losses. She has written two books and is working on her third. The one we talk about today is entitled, How Do I Survive? Seven Steps to Living After Child Loss. There will be a link on my webpage to her webpage and an e-copy of the book. She also says she is happy to send a paperback copy to anyone who reaches out. Today, she shares with us her life, her story, her mother's story, and what she has learned about grief. Thank you so much, Pat, for agreeing to be on the show today and sharing your story and your book with all of us today. Oh, I'm so grateful that you're having me. Yes. I really am super grateful. Well, I'm very excited. You know, you sent me an email, I don't know, several months ago now, and I have to apologize because I did not notice it for a little while because things were a little hectic at home and it didn't come on my normal Marcy at Andy's mom.com email. It came on my Gmail, so I'm not even sure how you found me, but I uh, did not did not pay attention as closely as I should have, but I eventually did come around to go through all of them and, um, and was able to find you. So thank you. Mm, Thank you. Thank you for reaching out back out. I appreciate it. So I think I want to start and not start by talking about your book, but start way back in your past and talking about your story and your story as Greg's sister. 
And even though you never knew Greg, you are Greg's sister. And being Greg's sister really had a huge impact in what happened in the rest of your life. Yes, yes. Um, Yes, so I was born into a grieving family to grieving parents, but I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I was, I'm thinking around five, six years old. And I used to love to go up into our attic and look at photo albums that my mother had up there. Mm-hmm. And I love to look at all the people who were there before me and, you know, ancestors and relatives. And I found this little five by seven manila envelope and inside of it, nosy me had to look inside and there were two pictures of this baby they were black and white and the baby just didn't look quite right Mm -hmm. and so i thought why do my parents have these pictures of these babies and i knew that they weren't my other brothers i was the youngest with three older brothers at the time Mm -hmm. and i thought why would they have these pictures of this baby and he doesn't look well he looks sick So I don't know if my mom came to check out and see what I was doing up in the attic or if I took this envelope to her and I said, who is this baby? And I mentioned that he didn't look well, you know, like he looked sick in my five-year-old, six-year-old vernacular. And she said, that's your brother, Greg. And I thought, wow, I have another brother? It was was just, it was so surreal. Mm -hmm. So surreal. So, um... Of course, I wanted to know all about him, but that, you know, she just said he died when he was a baby. And that was really all I knew. And we never talked about Greg in our home. There were no, those only, those were the only two pictures. He was not quite four months old and someone actually took pictures. He died unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. And so someone took those two pictures at the mortuary. So that's why he looked so sickly because he was already deceased. Wow. And they were the only two pictures my mom has of her baby. And yeah, and it was just, it was so surreal. And I don't know what, you know, once I could start riding my bike, for some reason, I was always attracted to the local cemetery. We were Catholics and there are two Catholic cemeteries butted up next to each other. And I would ride my little bicycle and I found his gravestone. By yourself? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was probably six, seven years old. And I would go and hang out there. And I think the reason why I went there is because my next door neighbor, he was three and I was five Mm -hmm. and he died. And so when I got to be old enough to ride my bicycle and go to the cemetery, I would go visit Joey's gravestone because they had a little picture of Joey on there. And I always used to like to go and chat with him. Right. (laughs) That was kind of, I was that girl. And that's when I found my brother Greg's gravestone and so I would just sit there and I would daydream about what it would have been like to be have him in our family and what our relationship would have been like and how would he have been like my older brothers how might he have been different and we were born a day apart only six years difference he was born on June 21st 1952 I was born on June 22nd 1958 so I always wondered like, oh, would we have had parties together? We, we would have been, I just felt like we would have been very, very close. Mm-hmm. So that was my knowledge of my brother. But again, um, I never talked to anybody that I went to the cemetery. Um, we never talked about Greg in our home ever. So your siblings yeah. didn't even know that you went to the cemetery? Just No, mm-hmm. no. And, and one sibling was born after Greg. The, right. the other two 
one was three years old when he died and the other one was like um, 15 months old. So they really so had they very few, if any, memories either. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that was um, kind of my understanding. And it was it's very surreal because there's this connection. I, I liken it to what I imagine that if you're adopted and all of a sudden you find out that you have this other family mm-hmm. and, you know, your biological family. Mm-hmm. It, I think it probably felt like that. And I was just so interested in knowing more about him, but I didn't have anyone to really talk to about that. Because you really felt like you couldn't ask your parents. No. I mean, they were very it, much. Mm-hmm. They didn't talk about it. I mean, it just, it was just like an unknown. And then um, I'll fast forward. Sure. In 2012, Greg would have turned 60. And my mother was in her late 80s. My dad had already died. And she finally opened up about him because I think it was because his 60th birthday was coming up. And here I'm an adult. I'm in my 50s. She's in her 80s. And we finally chatted about it. And um, I'm, I'm a nurse by background. I was a corporate executive, but I love hearing people's stories. That, I, that's just so precious to me when people share their stories and they always do. And I just started asking her questions and she finally was able to kind of unearth all that grief, all that sadness, all that abandonment, all the guilt mm-hmm. that she had held for 60 years. And so we just started this process. I would just sit down and just ask her some questions and she would just start talking. And I finally understood the whole story. Um, and that was uh, just a wonderful time because I could see that she could open up her heart and actually lift some of that burden off her shoulders. Mm-hmm. And I could look at it objectively for her some of the circumstances around the death and and some of the guilt that she held and I could play it back to her in a more um I don't know clinical way almost so that because she had so much emotion and had held that guilt so badly that I could look at what happened from my nurse mindset and play that back to her with like reframing the story and that you could just see her relax like she didn't have to hold that guilt that she had been telling herself this story for 60 years and she started her healing process and so it was just and my mom's 96 we live in a multi-generational home and it's wonderful that I feel like she has found her peace wow and yeah so it's um, been a really beautiful beautiful thing and I have this very deep connection with this brother I never met. And it's a very deep spiritual connection. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing to me that she can now start that healing process. It's, it just does goes to show, go to show that you can push it away and push it away and push it away, but it won't really go away until you deal with it. And it will continue to eat at you for I mean, in this case, 60 years, I'm sure in her mind, she thought, if I push it away long enough, and I ignore it long enough, it will be fine. Right? She would be able to just live okay life. But it's nice that you were able to see such a weight lifted as she was able to, you know, discuss things a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think, you know, back in that generation, Mm -hmm. it was 
you know, we'll just bury it. We just soldier on, right? You know, we're, we're going to be stoic and, and move on. And there are so many women who have come to me over the years now who are in their 70s and 80s who are just so thankful when I start asking them about their children and having them say their children's names mm -hmm. because it's like we I could never talk about it. You know, I never could. No one wanted to talk about it. And so she didn't, my mom didn't have the, she wasn't able to grieve. Yeah. You know, I mentioned to you right before we started, I just found out like a week ago, I was cleaning. She lives with us and she has a little mother-in-law suite. So I was cleaning her mother-in-law suite and I happened to open a drawer to put something in. And I found the little book from the, the, the service. They didn't have a funeral. They had just, he died and they took him to the mortuary the next, that night or the next day, had a few people come and where people sign that book, whatever guest book or sure, whatever sure. they call it. And I started, she had written a couple of things in there and she wrote the day that he died, which was the 12th of October. And then I noticed that the day that they had his service and the date of his burial was the 13th. Wow. So she had no time to process this and then yeah they do the burial and so it just i cried i mean i sat on her bed and and cried for her right so deeply because i just thought wow this is yeah but that's kind of how they did it back then well and, she, and you know go ahead i i remember reading in your book how you had said she just had this desire to just dig up the ground and go hold him again well of yes. course she did because the day before she had, she had held him, you know, that, you know, that morning of the day before she held him. And you, you tell the story in the book that they had him in the hospital and they said, I think he's doing a little better. Why don't you go, guys go home and get a little bit of sleep. And then they get a phone call that he had died. So yeah. it would be more than natural that you would just have this feeling like I just had my baby what has possibly happened so to go that quickly I mean it's bad enough I know going having to bury your child four or five days after their death but immediately wow wow yeah 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 it was it was devastating and now when I talked to her you know and she she said to me she goes yep that's the way they did it boom but bing it's done you know and it just kind of came out that the other day and, and I'm like mom I'm just so sorry I I just on behalf of everything that happened to you I just want to tell you I am just so sorry yeah yeah because she probably just didn't get much support at all really did she no now, and so when we talk about, you know, I didn't know I was in a grieving family until I was in my 50s. And then all of a sudden, you know, the rear view mirror. And I always, it was a sad home. It was a very quiet home. We didn't laugh and play. I mean, we played out in the neighborhood and it was a one, you know, my parents were great, but it was so quiet and sad. Mm -hmm. And that always struck me like, you know, I had three older brothers and myself and you just didn't have that joy it was just very quiet and sad mm -hmm. and then my parents didn't communicate and eventually ended up divorced when I was a teenager and 
I don't think that it was the death of my brother, but I think that all the things pre and post just put them. Well, it certainly didn't help, right? I mean, the fact that they, that was such a taboo subject and something they couldn't discuss and they had to really grieve completely individually and by themselves, that cannot be good on a marriage. I mean, I know from personal experience, you know, there are times certainly when we feel like we're not on the same page, right? And I'm having a really sad day and I don't want to get Eric down or Eric's having a really sad day and he doesn't want to get me down. But in general, we do know how important it is that we still need to talk and we still need to communicate and we still are in this grief journey together and Mm -hmm. your family was not you were not on one grief journey together you were let's hide it and let's keep going and let's pretend like we just had four kids not five well and interesting that you say that because um my mom would always say she had four children yes you know because I mean and I've heard this from so many grieving parents like yourself, it's like, okay, so how do I say this, you know, and, and it depends on who I'm with, whether I really want to go deep into that or not. So, but she, so she would just say, I have four children. And after we did this kind of clearing and opening and allowing her to really give air to her grief and, and kind of have Greg's spirit re-engaged with her, we went to the bank and the, the gal that was working with my mother said, so Mrs. Huss, how many children do you have? And my mom looked right at her and said, I have five children. One is deceased. (laughs) My whole life never would have said that. And to me, that again brought tears to my eyes like, wow, that is so beautiful that she can now say it. Yeah, because in her mind, she thought it. I'm sure she thought it the whole time because I think whenever I hate that question, I hate it. I dread it because I just don't know how to answer because like you say, you don't know what to say. You, you don't know what to say at all. Right. And I have three biological children and one foster son and one of my biological children is not living. So it is not a very easy question for me to answer anyway. Right. When Andy was alive, I used to say I have three bio- biological children and one foster son. But now it goes to this whole craziness of I have three biological children. I have one foster son and my middle biological child is dead. I mean, that's just a lot. And more than right. anyone really wants to know when they're asking you, how many kids do you have? So I don't know. It's it's tough, but I can't say I can never answer that question as just say two. Right. I have I don't just have two. I don't just have Catherine and Peter because I don't want to leave out the foster son who's been in my home for four years. And I certainly can't leave out my son, Andy, who was in my home for 14 and will be in my heart forever. So instead, I cry every single time. And then they apologize to me every single time. And it's just kind of a mess. And I don't know how it's ever going to not be a mess, right? I just, I don't know how to answer that question. It's funny, you know, my husband doesn't ask it anymore. You know, he won't. He never asks people how many kids they have anymore because it's such a painful question for him to have to answer. 
that he just feels like it could be painful for somebody else too, we're not going to go there because it seems like a nothing question that you can just toss out to anybody, but really it's not. And, you know, you have other people too that maybe they don't have any kids, but gosh, they desperately wanted to and they could never get pregnant. I mean, it's a painful question to them too. So there, there's just a lot of emotions behind it, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, you know, yeah. And, and everybody that I've talked to, is like, it just depends on who I'm talking to also. Yeah. Like I don't want to go into it. So then I figure a way to brush it off and move through it quickly. Um, you know, others are saying, but if it's someone that I think that, you know, will understand and, and connect with me, then maybe I'll share a little bit, bit deeper and, I was just so happy that my mom was able to, cause she kind of had her shoulders and she's four foot 11 and stood up and looked this woman right in the eyes. And it was such an affirmation for my mom to say, yes, I've always had five children. Yes. Oh. That must've been really so amazing for her to be able to do that. And what a change. Yeah. And for the first time to really be able to kind of be proud of that answer. Yeah. Then feeling, yeah. then knowing she was hiding something because for sure she felt like she was hiding something every other time she answered. Yeah. No one ever. I mean, even, you know, when I talked to her, when we first started opening up the conversation, I'm like, I couldn't believe that like her parents wouldn't talk to her and comfort her or all these, her friends. And, you know, she'd say, well, they were all busy or, you know, you just didn't talk about it. And um, I think I shared in the book, I'm not sure if it's in this book, but about the, the deep layered grief that went on on my father's side of the family. Yes, I think and you should go where, ahead and share that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So before my brother died, um, my first cousin, Bobby, was not quite 12 years old and he had a ruptured appendix and he died. This is back in the 50s. He died mm-hmm. unexpectedly, very tragically. A couple of weeks after that, and that was on a Saturday, a few weeks after that, Bobby's mother had a brain aneurysm and she died. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And left twins and her husband and her grandmother was, my dad's grandmother was living with them. A few weeks after that, on a Saturday, my great grandmother who lived with Bobby and his mother died. Yes. Now she was older. Yeah, we can say, but I think it probably was a broken heart. She lived there. So three people in one roof. And then a few weeks after that, my brother, Greg, unexpectedly gets sick, goes into the hospital and dies. Mm-hmm. So my grandmother, who was, she's the sweetest soul. My grandmother was the most beautiful woman. And I, that's why I just couldn't imagine why she wouldn't have been there for my mom and dad. And then I realized it and I said to mom, I said, oh my God, grandma lost her first grandchild. She lost her daughter, her mother, and then Greg, her second grandchild, all within a matter of a couple of months. I said, I don't think she had the capacity, mom. I think she was so buried in her own shock and grief that she couldn't even function herself. And probably that was what was going on for dad too, when finally, oh my gosh, now it's my son. Right. And I said, I just, I don't know that they had any, any capacity to be there for you. And it's not fair. 
and you felt totally abandoned, but she thought her abandonment was because of her and the way that she was reacting. And that helped her to see, oh, I never thought about it that way. Yeah. I think we naturally do comparisons, right? And when putting yourself in your mom's situation, she would have been like, well, you know, it's not as bad in my mind, but maybe it's not quite as bad as losing a 12 year old. And oh, and then the and then like you think about his dad, right? He lost his son, then he lost his wife, then so losing all of these things and thinking, well, I guess I just lost the one. So that's not quite as bad. You just start comparing. I think about that all the time, like even going to grief support group, my husband and I left and we had, you know, there were other kids there who's uh, had complex medical histories and went through years of medical treatments and suffering. And I remember talking to my husband and saying, wow, I'm glad we didn't have to watch Andy slowly deteriorate and die. I feel so lucky that he was playing soccer an hour before he died, right? So I said that we were talking to each other about that. And then a few weeks later, I was talking to one of those same moms. And she said, I just can't believe your story. I can't imagine having lived through that kind of tragedy and seeing it that suddenly. At least I, you know, had time to say goodbye and had time. And so they were saying, oh, yours is way worse. And I was saying, oh, yours is way worse. So Mm -hmm. you then feel like you minimize it a little bit. You minimize what you're going through and you think, oh, I've got to be tougher because mine isn't as bad as that. So I'm sure your mom must have gone through some of that as well. Don't you think? With all of that happening in your family? Tell her that. In the family, like I had an aunt, my dad's sister, and my mom still harbors some resentment towards this Mm -hmm. um, because she's like, well, we'll have a mask for great grandma. We won't. Greg, he was only a baby. And my mom's like, and my mom said, I was bound to determine. I didn't care if not, not one other person showed up. I was having a mask for my baby. Yeah, so course. people would say that mm-hmm. and not thinking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's my mom's 96 and she's still ticked off at my aunt's no longer alive, but she's still ticked off that that was even said to her. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, can't I think that's her. true. It's funny. You can say some of those things to yourself, but if other people say them to you, it's way worse. Right. Yeah. yeah. Just like you can have babies that die and i know of people whose firstborn children have died and they have gone on to have other children and you have written about that in the book that sometimes people say that has been healing to have other children for me but i mean god help you if somebody actually would say to one of those moms well at least you can have other kids cuz i mean yeah. you'd <laughs> that that's the most horrible awful thing to say now it really may help when you have other children, but you can't have somebody tell you that because it just belittles what you're going through personally. Yeah. And the other thing that I noticed the other day when I was going through that little book and looking at all the condolences cards, and again, this is in the 1950s, every condolence card was exactly the same. I think Hallmark or whoever did it. Yeah. They only had one pattern, but everyone who actually wrote a note in it said, well, at least you have a little angel in heaven. And so I went out to my mom, she was sitting watching TV and I said, 
how did that make you feel? And she just gave me this look like it was not. And I said, I can imagine. And I said, and we know you have an angel in heaven, but at the time I can't even imagine because everybody, that's all that they knew how to say. And mm -hmm. she's like, no, I didn't want to hear that at all. You don't want an angel I in heaven. My baby. Want I want my baby. Mm -hmm. I want my baby. Period. Yeah. All of those things that people say, I mean, whether it's the 1950s or now, people say those things now trying to like put some sort of a light spin on things or something, some sort of silver lining. Don't give me the silver lining. The cloud is dark. The cloud is black. The cloud is horrible. I don't care if there's a little bit of silver somewhere. Just acknowledge the horribleness of what's happening and don't try to force me to look on the bright side yet. Yeah. 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 Because you'll, you'll figure out when that time is. Exactly. You know? you'll, you, you'll see it when it's there. And when you're ready to, it has to really come when you're ready to see some of those uh, good things that can come because certainly it can, right? I have talked a lot about how I feel like I'm a more compassionate person. I'm a different person now. In many ways, I'm a better person now. Do I want to exchange that back for Andy? Absolutely. I would be a perfectly content to be a horrible person and still be the mom of an, an alive Andy here on earth. But that's not what it is. So I am happy that I'm more compassionate now, but it's not worth it in my mind, you know, still. Right, right. Absolutely. So I want you to go on and talk about what you're doing now and the book. We've talked about the book a little bit, but why don't you go into a little bit more detail about how that came to be and what you are doing now? Okay. Well, um, so in 2012, everything changed and I was a corporate executive working in the work comp industry. And I just knew that it was, you know, I was getting into that second half of life, I guess. And I just really wanted to do coaching and I heard about it back in the 1990s. And so it was something I always wanted to do. So I got myself educated and became a certified coach. And it's just so interesting. You have to have coaching clients and hours even before you get certified. Okay. So I had to kind of put my shingle on the door and say, I'm a life coach. Come see me. And it's interesting. Two people that came to me were grieving moms, the first two clients. And I thought, this is interesting. Mm -hmm. So I'd just gone through all of that with my mom. Then it's grieving moms are showing up. And I didn't go out and say, this is what I do. Right. It just started happening that way. And so I knew that I had um, been given the gift of being able to listen to the stories. And so I wrote another book prior to this one that was just gathering. It was my parents' story, my story um, growing up in a grieving home and, and what my parents went through. But I also had many, many women that came and siblings who shared their stories. And so they gave me permission to put that into this first book that I self-published back in 2015 or 16. And they allowed me to share their stories. And there was, I could see with all the people that I talked to, the women grieving moms, especially, that there were certain things that really helped them to find healing. Mm -hmm. Their grief, grief never goes away. You know that it's, it's never going to totally go away because grief is love, you know, and have having loved so deeply and carried that love in your heart forever. There's always going to be some semblance of grieving yes. going on. So 
but I saw that there for many women that they had commonalities of kind of what they did in their lives and what helped them to kind of be on this journey and have lives that were fulfilling for them. And I also saw conversely many people where some of the paths they took were not healthy and didn't end up happy and ended up pretty much destroying their lives. So I took all that and last year, I don't know why it happened. Um, I just had this thought and, and decided that I was going to write a book that would be more of a helping tool mm-hmm. for, especially for grieving moms, but grieving families. So I wrote this book, um, how do I survive seven steps to living after child loss. And in this book, I just, I have, I call it my breathe program mm-hmm. because what's the first thing that happens when you are grieving so deeply you take your air in and you can't exhale, right? We forget how to breathe in this deep, devastating despair. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of see myself as the coach that helps you exhale. And we have, there are steps now, seven steps to living after life does not like say, okay, here's a cookie cutter process. Take these steps and you're going to be fine and dandy and life is good. Um, now it's basically a coaching program and it's just to give tools and resources and create awareness within yourself to help walk this journey so that you can continue to move forward, find health, you know, find the right people. I talk about finding the right people in your tribe. I'm not going to go through each one of the steps, but I'll give you an overview, you know, finding the right people in your tribe that I call them your tribe that may not be even family members, but close, a couple of people that you know that you can depend on through thick and thin Mm -hmm. when it's just horrible that they'll sit with you, they'll wipe the snot off your face, you know, they love you so much. But when you're grieving the loss of your child, your husband's grieving the loss of your child, your children are grieving the death of their sibling. It's very hard for everybody's grieving. So there's that layered grief. You're grieving for them. You're grieving for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I believe that you need to have your own tailor-made little support system. Mm-hmm. A couple of people who can just really be there for you um, when you need it, whether it's in the middle of the night or whatever it is, and just a safe space. And I've noticed a lot with my clients, that's kind of like the big thing because we don't like to ask for help. No, we don't. And we don't know how to a lot of times. And especially for women, it's like, I just don't know. So that's probably the, I'm not going to say it's the most difficult, but what I've found is the most tentative people are like, really, you want me to do this for my homework? It's like, would you just try it on? Just try it on. Just think of, let's talk about who might be a couple of those people. And every time they call up this person or two people and the person on the other side is going, oh, thank you. Thank you so much for reaching out. I've been wanting to help you so badly and I didn't know how to do it. And I would just, I would be so honored, mm-hmm. so honored to be able to help you. And then it's just like, there's again, this, the shoulders relax and mom can finally feel supported in a different way without having to shoulder the responsibilities of everybody else's grief and her own. So I think that's really, really important. Um, So I talk about health things that you can do, you know, because 
your health is not on the top of your mind when you're grieving. No. You know, it's, and sometimes we can do behaviors that are not probably very good for us. We may eat too much or we may not eat at all. You know, some people self-medicate. Um, you know, other people may shop, just to, anything to fill the kind of that hole in their hearts. There's lots of different things. So I go through these and I call them seven steps, but it, the acronym is for breathing. And that's probably the main thing I do that when I'm working directly with clients, but that I keep talking about in the book too, is we have to be able to breathe, breathing in and breathing out and being kind, being so kind and gentle and loving to yourself. And that's what this book is. It's, it's, it's all about taking care of yourself and the things that you can do to find some peace. Mm -hmm. I think every grieving parent I've ever talked to, the one thing when I ask them, what out of anything that you could have, what would you like to have? What would you like to accomplish here? I just want a little peace, a little sense of peace. Yeah. It's interesting when I was reading through your book, I would get to parts and I'd be like, okay, I think I can do that. I think I can do this. And then I'd get to something else and be like, yeah, I can't do that yet. You know, yep. and, and I, I liked that about it too. Like the one part I was reading through and I thought, yeah, I just can't do that. I just can't do that. And then I got, I started thinking about why can't you do that? And I thought, cause I've just got too much kind of anger and guilt and fear for the future, like in my head that I can't do a good job. It was like on some of the self-care things and making a list of like 10 things you're going to do to like make yourself kind of happy or whatever. I like, I just couldn't even make the list. I couldn't even like write it down. And then it's, it was really nice because he went on to the very next chapter. And what did you talk about? Guilt and anger and having to get past those <laughs> things first. And I was like, okay, I guess she gets that, that that is probably okay that I can't like write that down yet because I really, and even though in the, in your breathe acronym, it was afterwards, I couldn't do the thing before it because the thing afterwards was still weighing down on me so much. And then even further, when it gets uh, more towards the end, you talked more about that fear. And I thought that's what I'm sort of paralyzed with right now like I'm paralyzed yeah. with this fear for what's going to happen in the future and what my life's going to be like and what my children's lives are going to be like and if something else is going to happen and I, I, we are coming up I, I have the two-year anniversary of Andy's death just this coming Saturday so it's you know it's very much on my mind and the fear is at a forefront right now with me but I realized that's why I'm stuck right? That's what's getting me stuck right now. And until I can start to work on that, you know, some of the other stuff I just can't do yet. So mm -hmm. I appreciate in the book, you talking about that a little bit and about how those things can be really big sticking points for people that w can get you so you can't like move forward. Although in yes, other ways, I feel like I'm doing a great job moving forward, right? I feel like I do this podcast with Andy every single week. I really do focus on hope and healing and health. And I think 
wow, in that area, I'm doing great. Come up with a plan. Come up with a purpose. I got it, you know. But there are just, mm-hmm. you just can't get everything. So it, it was nice for me to read. Thank you. Well, thank you. And I think, you know, again, it's not linear, right? No. And so these are, these are tips and tools and things. And that's why it's great. You can go back to the book. And that's also why I have a companion coaching program with it. So that if people are getting stuck and they feel like they need, they need someone to talk it through, they need to work through it. Hey, that's, that's why I'm here too, is to offer up that, you know, that's what I do too, is one-on-one coaching. But the book is you can take the tips and tools and what works. And I, I liken it to trying on clothes in a dressing room. There are going to be some things you think are so great. Gosh, that just looks so great on the hanger. You go put it on and it's like, this is so uncomfortable. I don't even want it. I, yeah, right. This is not going to work. I'm not going to spend my money on this. But other things you're going to take on like, oh my gosh, this feels like I was just meant to have this. Same thing with these tips and tools. Some are just not going to be feeling right or it might not like you say at this at time, this time other, yeah I think it's a lot of other time mm-hmm. and I just think I just really acknowledge you because you're just coming upon the two years that's still very fresh very right there's so much that goes on in those first couple of years and that you have stepped into this podcast and finding that purpose of sharing with others you know because I talk about that in the book yeah. that I know I know unequivocally People can argue it to death with me, but I know that when we really start healing is when we start serving others, Mm -hmm. but it takes time to get there because we have to heal. Mm -hmm. You have to heal. And, but you you don't have to be healed before you can start helping others because I feel like in many ways, and it's evident from me reading (laughs) in many ways, I still feel really broken and really not able to do certain things and really stuck in certain areas. But I feel like, though the helping others and helping others heal and doing that is I mean that's my strength right I knew that when you were talking in that too in the book about finding strengths I I kind of know that's my strength I'm I'm a listener I'm a helper I'm a caregiver that's what I do so that's why that part comes more naturally than some other things Right. My care for others comes way more naturally than caring for myself, for example. Oh, yeah. 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 And I mean, that's the beautiful. And that's why I, I do. It's yeah, you don't. And there's no fully healed. No. You know, I mean, it's up, down, all around. You know, I, I have been sharing recently a friend of mine. It's um, 11 years now since her son Ben died. Her one and only. She was a single mom. And she really went full force on her life purpose and getting on stages and doing benefits and doing all of these things. Cause he, he was a soldier. He was an army ranger. And then all of a sudden year 10 started coming and I could start feeling it with her. And I knew intuitively that this was going to be a struggle for her for some, you know, and so we've been working together as a friend, um, loving her dearly as a sister of helping to kind of move into that decade. Right. The new decade. And so it's like, and she looked like she had her stuff together all those years. And, but underneath we're still, we always are changing and mm-hmm. morphing and things will show up and trigger and other things, you know, will seem a bit easier. And, and I think that's the main thing is just be kind to yourself. 
-hmm. And when you can find that purpose, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be a big one. No. But just something where you start sharing with others and sharing your love with others. Because this is the other thing. And I, you can tell me if you agree or disagree, but this is what I hear from almost everybody. I have so much love in my heart to give and I don't know where to give it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like it's just like bursting and I don't know where to give it. And that's part of, I think, that sharing and finding that purpose. And Yeah. That's huge. I really do like that. I appreciate that a lot. Do you have this as a business now a little bit with your coaching too? I'm, I actually am a coach. Yeah, I am a, a grief coach. And so this is what I do full time. I work with grieving families, um, mainly Grieving moms is my specialty, but I work with anybody who's grieving significant loss. And now I'm writing a new book, which is how multi-generational support in a family can help in the healing process. Because I live in a multi-generational home with four generations. Um, I'm sandwiched in between my mother and my kids and their granddaughter. And so we all have um, come together. And so not necessarily that everybody has to live together, but they're, the, the village concept is so critical. And I think here, especially in the United States, it, we can take um, some time to really explore that and see how that works. Because I see lots of families now where they need that support network. So it's another way of healing family grief. That's, that's my whole idea is, um, helping families heal in their grief, whatever that grief may be. Well, it's interesting you say that. I'm in a woman's book group, not during COVID, but pre-COVID. We were doing a woman's group, our book group, that was for grieving women. And it ranged, we ranged in age from having a mom whose four-month-old died from sudden infant death syndrome at the daycare. She's young, right, in her mid 20s I'd say and then we had two women in their 80s who lost their husbands that they had been married to for over 60 years so and then all of us in between so there were more grieving moms in there than grieving widows but it was quite a group and we found how much support we really could give each other it was amazing to me because Initially, I have to say, when I went to my first just parent grief support group, I thought, what am I going to get from these six people in their 60s whose 40-year-olds died? I mean, okay, their child died. Yeah, but your child was 40s and married with kids, and my kid was 14. That is not even close to the same. But you do learn a ton from each other and appreciate so much from each other, and be able to see those perspectives and see how they're struggling because now they can't see their grandkids or other kinds of struggles. And they can support us too, having lost our children much younger. It was amazing how close I got to those women. And then to go to this book group and have widows in the process too, it's, I think we could offer so much more help and support to them than their own children, 
than their own friends. I mean, they were suddenly feeling so alone. The kids aren't thinking about, they're thinking about the fact they lost their dad, not really thinking about their mom losing their life partner. And now they've all these friends they had that they used to do couple things with. Now they can't do that anymore. And I think as grieving moms, we could just appreciate that loss and that profound loss and that feeling of being alone so much more. So I think that goes Mm -hmm. along with what you're doing here with this new book a lot. So it's not in the same family, but I, I have never been able to appreciate what widows have gone through more than I can now after I lost my son. And you'd think it wouldn't Mm -hmm. be the same, but many things are. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what it is. It's about, I call it the village. Um, My husband is Native American and, and the indigenous peoples and throughout the world and different cultures get this. And we have gotten so separated here in the United States and people are off living in you know, assisted living or, you know, senior living and the the kids may, you know, I have kids that are out on the East coast with my grandchildren. And so it gets very complicated. So part of that community is your village and they're not necessarily your biological village. No. You know, you have a foster child, Mm -hmm. you know, my, my kids have a a foster child who's, who's going to be adopted this month with them, but you know, so it's not always, that biological or even adoptive kind of thing mm-hmm. it's we come together as a village and hold each other and that's what it's all about so that's so that's kind of my next step is i want to be able to support people in that too so grieving families especially grieving moms is definitely where my heart and where i will always spend the majority of my time but i also see that there's a way to help in the healing process from a bigger perspective. Mm -hmm. No matter what your loss really. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It's interesting. You know, you, you mentioned my foster son. So my foster son now his, his birthday is this Friday, the day before Andy's death, but he, he will be turning 22. He obviously has not been my foster son for a long time, right? Because legally you're out of the foster system, but in in my mind, he's still like my son. I can't call him my son because he actually has a mother in Guatemala. So that's why I still just call him my foster son. But I remember saying to him as he approached one of those birthdays, I think I think it was actually right before Andy died. So right before he was going to turn 20, he was starting to feel like he shouldn't rely on us or ask us for as much stuff and things like that, right? Because now he's going to be 20. He's going to be old. And I remember saying to him, Valeriano, you will always be my son. You are my son. And just because blood doesn't make us mother and son, that's not what really does it, right? It's that love and... He's been a part of my family for a long time, and he is my son. He's 22 years old now, but just the same as when he was a teenager in those ways. So, yeah, that's it's a beautiful thing, and you don't just have to define everything one way. No, not at all. Our family certainly is a mixture of it all, yes. and I'm so appreciative, and we are all, we are all one. 
coming right down to it. We're all one of this family. And so how we can step in and support one another mm -hmm. um, in whatever way. And so when people are hurting deeply like yourself, you know, to have that community to step in, to have your tribe step in and, and love you up and hold you together when you don't feel like you can be held together, right? Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so it's um, to not feel abandoned, to always know that you're surrounded with people who love you. That's why I think it was so helpful to have that little book club that I had, right? It was a little respite that I knew I had every Tuesday. I had my little group, my little group that was going to be there for me. So it really does remind me of having your little tribe, the people that will be behind you no matter what and who you know you're not going to um, kind of damage by giving too much information to. So, Right. That's beautiful. I love so, that. So what advice would you have right now in your experiences for all of my grieving parents that listen? Um, the first one that I tell everybody is be kind to yourself. And that can be difficult, but truly be kind to yourself. Don't judge about what you're feeling, what you said, what you did. Just be kind to yourself and give yourself that loving care. I don't care if it's been a couple months out or if it's been 60 years like my mother. Mm -hmm. And find that little support network. Mm -hmm. Find that, pull up that courage and see, like you in the book club, you know, probably wasn't easy to go and step into that book club the first time. No. You know, it's, it's scary to be out there, but if you can find just one person that you can just reach out and say, Hey, if I need something, can I, can I call you? Mm -hmm. And I'll guarantee you just taking that one action will relax you. And the last thing is to breathe. So when you're feeling so distraught, take a moment and breathe in through your nose, exhale out of your mouth, breathe in through your nose, exhale out of your mouth, breathe in through your nose and exhale out of your mouth. And I guarantee you, you will find just that little bit of peace, mm -hmm. that little bit of calm just by doing that. It's funny, I, we talked about breathing at one of my grief support groups about the importance of breathing. And they mentioned how grieving people tend to sigh more than non-grieving people. That you will just take this sigh, this big sigh. And I started noticing my husband doing that a lot more than he ever used to. That I would notice just these sighs that would kind of come out of nowhere. And it really hit me then, that's the grief. That's the grief mm -hmm. that he's just needing to take a big breath every now and again. And just to sigh that that can just be so helpful. And he was doing it unconsciously, of course. And I didn't even notice it until after I went to that session. Like, oh, you do that. And he said, you know, I do? Like, yeah, you just did. You just did. So it's, uh, anyway, that was a little mind blowing to me when I heard that. Well, just, so. just a real quick little off of that. I actually am a Qigong teacher. And so I've worked with Master Chun Yi Lin, who is a grandmaster of Qigong. 
which is Chinese medicine. Mm -hmm. And it's like 7,000 years old. I think the first documented was 5,000 years ago. But they have this thing called the five element theory. And the theory is that we have these different energy systems and where grief, depression, extreme sadness resides is in our breathing system. Mm, interesting. So it only makes sense. So that's why I really try to encourage breathe in and breathe out. And when we focus on just telling ourselves to breathe in and breathe out, it gets our mind kind of off the stuff that maybe has making us crazy mm -hmm. and feeling like we're so distraught. So there's so much to just simple breathing. And I love that. I never had heard that before, but I can see it. I can see it now. And so I'm going to be more observant too, because there is that sighing. Yes. Yes. Releasing. I, mm -hmm. It ah, is a release. That's great. I, yeah. I did not notice it until after that was pointed out to me. And then now I can see it more. So, and with the be kind, I always talk about that as giving yourself grace. So kind of, so it's being kind to yourself, but when you mess up and when you don't do it right, just to give yourself grace and forgive yourself and be okay with it to start again and try again mm -hmm. and not feel like, ah, oh, I messed that up. It's done. Nope. Try again. That's that grace that you give yourself. Grace to give yourself mistakes and grace your, to give yourself a second chance and a third chance and a fourth. So mm -hmm. those are, Beautiful. that's very great advice. Thank you so much. So how can people have access to your book or get your book? Okay. They can just go to my website, www.healingfamilygrief.com. And there's a little thing that says like to have a free ebook and just sign up for it and you'll get a free ebook in the mail. Um, that also has a contact. So if they would like the paperback version, mm -hmm. I send those off for free too. So, I got that. So um, I thank you for the free paperback version. I really well, it's nice it. to like be able to use it and scribble on it and that kind of thing. So either way, people can just reach out to me through my website and tell me whether they, the ebook will automatically come once they sign up. But if they would like the physical version, send me a, a note under the contact tab and I'll mail one off. All right. Well, thank you again so much for agreeing to be on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's just, uh, just, uh, I love you. You are just like so awesome. So thank you so much for having me. Well, thank it's been you. Wonderful. Thanks for listening to losing a child. Always Andy's mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We're always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest or have a show idea please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.